Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Every single Tuesday at a smooth, smooth 6 o'clock, you know who is uh, scheduled to join me. That would be Christian Fowler. He's a senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. He is on X at C. Fowler BC. And we have a podcast, by the way, on the Bluff Pod, if you've not seen it already or watched it. Make sure that you check it out. It's on Apple, Spotify, full-length video version on YouTube. On the Bluff Pod is where you can find it. Now, Christian joins me now. Christian, what's the word, man? How are you? I'm doing wonderful. It's 78 degrees in oh, February, is, it's, Gabe. It's, I, oh, I, brother, I have been in shorts and a T-shirt past two days. It's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, no complaints. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Well, I, there's some complaints out there. You have to have some complaints. Come on. N- not over the not over the weather. Okay. The Malcolm Danger situation, maybe you have some complaints about that that we'll get to at some maybe, point during may, this conversation. Maybe a couple of complaints on that front. I hear you. On the personal front, no. I hear nah, you. I hear you. Well, well, here's here's my truth about the sports calendar because you always bring up the sports calendar and you basically try to tell the listeners not to listen to my show because you know uh, we we are we are low on on sports um, and, and sports stories that. start to get thinner and thinner as the the football season um, you know phases out. But NFL Combine is coming up this week. How about that? We have we have uh, people uh, in Indy right now stepping up to the podium and speaking on their uh, their team's behalf. NFL Combine on the way. I have a question for you on the Combine nowadays. Of course, of so course, I'm here been, to answer. I, I've been I've been a huge Combine nerd forever. Like if people that know me know that I'm a football nerd through and through. So I've I've probably started watching the Combine when I was in like fifth or sixth grade. I've always loved the Combine. Same. Is it not weird how many people choose to not participate in workouts or not run or not? lift or not do on the field drills like I, I i don't understand the advantage to it in theory i get it because you hear you know people say all the time that well they want to show out at their pro day or whatever but i don't get not doing everything at the combine like that is your stage national stage Whoa. televised it's become a pretty big event 
and you have like very few of the top quarterbacks actually throw um, during the combine. A lot of top prospects don't run forties anymore. Maybe a lot is is a little unnecessary, but there are a decent bit of top prospects that don't run the forty anymore. Participate in on field drills. It just feels weird to me, like how how pick and choose the combine has come. Yeah, for well, some everybody, of the top well, country. these top players, they don't want their their stock to drop at all. They feel like their they, their stock is at a high. So if they do anything that that could be determined to uh, to uh, be negative during the combine because it's not scripted for them directly, they feel especially the quarterbacks because it looks like Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels will not throw. But they just don't want their stock to drop. That's truly what it is. And then for the for the players that want to raise their stock, they do everything. They get everything going. Now I, I'll say this about the pro day, and you know this just as well as me. Everything is scripted for you during your pro day. You write the exactly. script. So it is pro very day, rare. Day. It's very rare for you to put yourself in a position to have your stock drop when you schedule everything that happens at the pro day. You make those ridiculous right. Zach Wilson throws where you're, you're rolling out against your arm and, you know, slinging <laughs> oh, it 70 exactly yards downfield. I was literally about to say pro days make players like Zach Wilson the number two overall. Ex- exactly, exactly. I, I, it's it's a flawed system, but it's the system we've created, right? It is, and what I think why it's weird to me is because if you know, uh, okay, let's use Marvin Harrison Jr. as an example because I believe he said that he's not running the forty right. uh, at at the combine. If you're Marvin Harrison Jr., I think we all know, and the, we don't all know, but the vast majority of people would probably agree that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best overall prospect in the draft. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be the most highly valued because he's not a quarterback, but as far as just player-by-player basis, Marvin Harrison Jr. Like is you're, you're Like you're doing the, the can't-miss thing. Like the most can't-miss right. guy here in the top ten picks, Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm not going to dispute that. Right, and everybody knows that. Marvin Harrison Jr. knows he's fast. I mean, he's been GPS at like 22 and a half, I think, Yeah. in practice. Why not run? I mean, you're not if, well, you, if he came out if he came out and ran a four four two that will do nothing to drop him. I agree, stop. but he doesn't want to take the chance of getting anything like a four five four six. Even if he had a four five, I don't think it would really affect him that much. Quite no, frankly. and I've seen Marvin Harrison play so many times. There's no chance he would run a four five unless he fell at the beginning of the forty. But I think part so, of this too, though, is Christian. Like we've we've we've. We have overanalyzed combine results. We have gone to the point where if you run, you know, five tenths or five, whatever, uh, a tenth of a second slower, you could get dropped or docked for that and you'd lose out on money depending on draft position. So, like, I, I, I think I kind of get where these guys that are slotted in the top ten already, they're like, I don't even want to risk it. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do get it. For what it is, I guess from a fan perspective, like you want to see the best players do everything. Because to me, it's always been really cool, like at the end of the combine, to go look at the top guys and be like, "Oh my gosh, Marvin Harrison Jr. had a 42-inch vertical. He ran a 4.32. Right, he was I incredible. Get it. He was incredible in the, on his on the field drills. His shuttle times were great. His three cone times were great. Like all that stuff is just fun to me. So I guess from a fan perspective, like the top players, you want to see all their Measurables and all their testing scores and how they do, but that I, I guess I guess that's that's just that's just kind of a nerdy. Well, thing, but well, but, but I, in the end of the day, we save that for the guys that are trying to lift up their stock. Like I remember, who was it? Uh, Anthony Schwartz out of uh, Auburn. 
who ran like a four three. Four two. Yeah, but he was four, never three, he was never very good at Auburn. He never really had the yeah. stats to go with it, but he ended up it being a third round pick. Round pick. He, a third, third round, round pick because of it. Like those are the guys we right. look at these days. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's the flip side of it. Like all the all the best players, you know, if if they do something it can't really hinder them unless it's just awful and they're like one of the worst athletes in the class or something like that. But I will I will agree with you in the fact that the combine is overanalyzed and it has made people higher draft picks than they absolutely should have been. I think a really good example is the Trayvon Walker versus Aiden Hutchinson. Oh, a hundred and ten percent. That's a good one. And I, I, I'll give credit. Like Trayvon Walker was much better this year in year two, and everybody kind of knew he was a developmental prospect anyway. But if you looked at it for what it was and you stack the two players up side-by-side, tape, production, everything, Aiden Hutchinson clearly should have been the number one pick in that draft. But because Trayvon Walker tested just ridiculously well, Jacksonville ended up making him the number one overall pick. And we still can't get too deep in the weeds on that because they're only two years in their career. But you It's been pretty clear who the better player is through two years. Right. You wouldn't find anybody that says Trayvon Walker has had a more productive career than Aiden Hutchinson so far. So I think it goes back to a conversation you and I have had multiple times, and this is one of my favorite conversations to have. The GMs and the owners and the scouting departments, it just feels like in this day and age with more information available and more knowledge available than there's ever been by a right. landslide, they make more questionable decisions right. than they've ever made yes 100%. and it doesn't matter we've we've gotten to a point with with all these numbers and everything that i think a lot of people have stopped trusting their eyes and their instincts and they just trust numbers way too much just because a guy runs fast doesn't mean he's going to be a good nfl player john ross another good example broke yep. the combine record for 40 time became a first round pick top 12 i think it was 11th overall if i'm not mistaken or nine overall yeah. Very, became a very high draft pick because he ran a 4-2, never had any production to match. When I'm sure, I can't think off the top of my head, but I'm sure you go look down in that draft and it's like, oh my gosh, there was good receivers everywhere, but they just picked this guy because he was fast. He didn't well, it's like it's like the Raiders way speed. back in the day with uh, Darius Hayward Bay. Darius Hayward Bay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dude ran a 4-3 or under, I think he ran a sub 4-3, like a 4-2-8, something like that. And here comes Al Davis. Like, yeah, we're going to pick him. He's fast. Yeah, we're taking this guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, but again, so it, it goes back, even with analytics, we have so much information available to us that we have become common sense dumb in a lot of ways. Yes, yes, I completely agree. And I, and to me, I guess just because it's something that I have probably more knowledge on than I have in, than anything else in my life is, is football. Like, looking at these things, just like, how how do they make these decisions? They don't make any sense. Yep. At, at all. Like, and, how are you picking this player over this player? Why is this player sliding when they're clearly huh. one of the best prospects in the draft? And it happens every single year now. Micah Parsons is another really good example. And I think that you can get into a positional value argument on that. But there's no way Micah Parsons shouldn't have been a top five pick. Right. Regardless of what position well, that and he let's, played. Let's, let's have a discussion last year with the Lions positional value everybody's you know crapping on them for taking a linebacker off ball linebacker and a running back but Jameer Gibbs Jack Campbell were phenomenal he goes into you know the second round uh, or second day takes Brian Branch a safety 
and they were all right. phenomenal. And Sam Laporta, like, it, it, in the end of the day, like, all these positional value conversations, um, you know, looking at it at past results, it means something, but it should not completely sway you uh, on, on each individual prospect. And I, I, that's why I respected Brad Holmes and the Lions and what they did last year. Yeah, watch the tape, conduct your interviews, and base it 95% off of that. Now, if you have a wide receiver that runs a four eight five, right, but and his tape was incredible and he was a great interview, okay, I, I get it, but four eight five, you're not beating anybody in the NFL. But you get a receiver that runs a four five three and a receiver that runs a four three two and the four five guy has crazy production, his tape is off the charts, he interviews incredible, but the four three guy ran a four three, like a lot of GMs in the NFL nowadays are going to take that guy that ran a 4-3, and it just it's all mind-blowing to me. Yeah. And, and like you said, we're just common sense dumb now. Like The smarter we get and the more knowledge that we get and the more information that becomes available, the dumber we get and the less we rely on our instincts. And that's another reason, just to kind of uh, put a bow on this conversation, that's another reason the combine's so interesting to me. Because you look, and you can kind of, if you really get in tune with it, you can see the guys that are going to start flying up boards. And they're usually players that you've never heard of and have very low production, but they end up becoming high, maybe low low first-round picks, high second-round picks. They become very valuable picks just based off of one day in spandex running around at Lucas Oil Stadium. And so that's another reason that's so interesting to me because you see these guys and you say, well, he did not do anything in college but he's about to be a high-round pick because of his measurables. Nolan Smith out of Georgia is another example right. uh, last year for the Eagles. Just tested incredible, looks like the prototypical defensive end hardly played this year as a first-round rookie. Yep, 100%. Now, uh, moving on, we have to get to some Tigers basketball. We have some more information available. Speaking of information, this past week was really solid, I think, in the grand scheme of things. 24-point win over who was, uh, at the time, number two in the AAC in Charlotte. And then they beat FAU at home by four. And now they have three games left in the year. They're going to have at ECU, UAB, and then they'll round it out with a quad one opportunity on the road at Florida Atlantic. Like, this is just a tough question, I think because there's a lot of layers to it and a lot of nuance, but how should fans feel about this team right this second with seemingly the at-large bid off of the table unless something drastic were to change? Yeah, I mean, you can't feel any worse than you did when we spoke last week. And I have to come back around, and I said this last night on the podcast, and I'll say it here as well. In our evaluations and in our analysis, like we have to be fair. And if we're going to be critical when things deserve to be critical, then we have to praise when things are uh, deserving of praise. And th- you got to give this team a lot of credit because I think a lot of fans and a lot of media members as well, uh, myself definitely included, I really thought Memphis was going to fold after that loss to SMU. It looked like they quit in that game. It looked like they had no interest in being there. They lost that game by 27 points. And then you look around the corner and you say, Charlotte. And like you said, Charlotte was sitting in good position at the time, but that's not going to get anybody excited. That's not going to, like, rile a team up to go play. But they did. You know, they they went in. They won that game by 24 points. uh, And then they came back and they beat FAU at home by four points. And they looked really good outside of their shooting in that game. So last week I said Memphis basketball, you asked me one word. One word was embarrassing, and it was embarrassing. But they've put a lot of redemption into it, at least for this two-game stretch. 
that is kind of baiting fans back in. And I don't I don't say baiting as in a negative term as it's going to go the other way. I'm saying that as there is a positive reason for fans to be engaged again. Now, how should they feel uh, about this team's outlook moving forward? It's hard to feel overly positive because of where this season started and where it's at now. Um, but I will, I will say this. I, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised in the least bit if Memphis goes and wins the AAC tournament. And that mm-hmm. sounds crazy, and I get it. I understand it. But this team just plays well against quality opponents for the most part, like in big game situations. So even in the AAC tournament, if you're not playing a great team, like there are a lot of stipulations on the line, and that's when this team seems to play the best. And judging off of things that we saw on Sunday, uh, the rotation was shortened. Uh, All five starters played 30-plus minutes. Uh, Everybody that started played really well. Uh, Memphis hardly turned the ball over. Uh, The only thing they didn't do, like I said, was shoot the ball well, and they still beat a quality team in FAU. So you have to feel better, but I just don't know. I think think your ceiling on how you feel is capped, one, because of where this team was a couple of months ago, and two, because you know an at-large bid is is very, very, very unlikely. And you know really the only way this team is going to the tournament to the NCAA tournament is to win the AAC tournament. But saying all that, I believe they're capable of doing right. it. Will they? Who knows? Like what what Memphis team will show up on the court the next game or in the AAC tournament? I, I don't exactly know. But if they play the way that they did Sunday, then they can win their second consecutive AAC championship, and I will not be surprised personally. Yeah, now two weeks ago you, you said you know the one word you'd put out there is embarrassing. I think last week looking at Charlotte and FAU when we thought they were going to quit, you'd say resilient, right? And like that does yeah. highlight to me – the roller coaster ride that is seemingly every season with Penny Hardaway, with the drama yeah. and everything off the floor. We'll get to Malco in a second. We'll talk about that at length. But the, this this season, I think even more so than past seasons, and we're talking about a James Wiseman, IARP case, and Imani Bates, and all these different things that have transpired in the Penny Hardaway era. This season, more than past season, past seasons has been you know a roller coaster ride, even more up and down than, than normal. Yeah, and that, and that's exactly what I was about to say. We've we've used that term probably every year under Penny Hardaway, or at least I I personally I think I've used that term every year under Penny Hardaway that it's been a roller coaster. Calling all the previous years a, a roller coaster compared to this year is unfair. <laughs> is is really unfair? Yes, because this year has truly been a roller coaster ride. Uh, the the last several years, you can say. I would I would almost change it from roller coaster to just inconsistent mm-hmm. to just it's not super high highs and not super low lows for the most part. This year has been almost the highest of highs with seeing the University of Memphis be ranked in the top ten and have at the time four uh, top twenty five victories. Like that is a peak. That is a super high apex for the University of Memphis basketball program. And then you go on the on the flip side of that, you know, losing six out of nine games, losing to Rice, uh, super low, low. And then you pop up a little bit uh, after a three-game win streak, maybe feeling a little good, 
and then you you lose back to back games by a combined thirty seven points, which was arguably the low point, the complete low point of the season because you lost your at large bids in that week when you were out in Dallas. Right, right. You know, even the even even though the loss to Rice was the most embarrassing of the year, the fact that you lose those two games, especially the way that you lose the SMU game, uh, very low low. And then you fast forward another week, and here we are, and they beat Charlotte by 24, and, and they beat FAU by four in the same week. And so it's just a constant up and down, and that's not even mentioning you know, the things that we've heard from Penny about guys being on the floor together and the chemistry and Jordan Brown coming in and out of the program, and now uh, the Malcolm Dandridge news, like not only on the floor but off the floor this season has been pretty close to that in highs and lows. And so it, it, it's been a very – very odd season to say the least but as of right now where we sit today like you can't feel awful about it compared mm-hmm. to where we have been at certain points in this season yep i agree with you wholeheartedly talking with christian fowler at c fowler bcm senior writer and content creator for bluff city media we also have a podcast on the bluff pod apple spotify full-length video version on youtube now i have put out you know this this past week I have talked about at length on, you know, I did a post-game show for Bluff City Media twice. I um, have talked about it on on this show on several occasions. What do you think changed last week? Like, what were the big changes, whether it was Penny Hardaway in game planning or players playing hard? Like, what do you think the biggest changes were to help reverse some of these results? I think I think if you look at a couple of different things, to me, the biggest, and I think you did a really good job of explaining this last night, there have been more offensive, more attempts at offensive sets to get specifically Javon Quinterly comfortable and in a rhythm. And for him to be able to read what's going on around him rather than play in, in, you know, in this sped-up pro-style style system. And defensively, same thing, this is your point, and it's a very good point. Instead of trying to play full-court press the entire time, playing more of these half-court sets defensively, meeting teams at half-court rather than following them all the way down the court. And I think that specifically is twofold. I think the first part of that is we talk about you know going deep into your rotations. If you're not running guys full-court press, you can play these starters for more minutes. And we saw that on Sunday against FAU. As I mentioned, all five starters play 30-plus minutes, and that makes a big difference. Also, I think it shows us, at least in this small sample size, that maybe Penny is realizing that this is not a defensive first team. I know that's Penny's mindset. I know he's a defensive-minded head coach, and that's how he wants his teams to play, is defense first. But maybe he's realizing that this team, even if they weren't intentionally meant to do so or brought here to do so, this is an offensive first team based on the personnel and based on the players that are here. This is an offensive first team. And so playing to the strength of that rather than try to fit this team into being a defensive first team, it could be very beneficial because it really is addition by subtraction. And I think we I think we really saw that. And, and like I said, it's a small sample size. We can't really project out how it's going to go the rest of the year. Right. But if they do that defensively, if they realize that, hey, we're an offensive first team and we need to be a, a team on the defensive end of the floor that kind of takes advantage rather than forces the issue, 
then I think that suits this team and the personnel for this team much better. And so those, those are some of the big things that I saw. I, the rotation is obviously one of those as well, but I, I, I kind of roped that in with the defensive right. adjustment. I agree. And, and, and so the, to me, those are the biggest things. It, you, you switch everything towards being an offensive first team. That plays into having more sets and more set plays, and it also plays into the fact that we're not going to go 100% all of our effort, all of our um, – resources, all of our conditioning is going to go to defense. And we at least saw that in the last couple games, and you would hope that that is enough to say, okay, this is the way that this team needs to operate the rest of the year moving forward. Offensive first, and then play defense as it comes. Don't force the issue. Play defense. Stay on your, you know, stay on your assignment and just, and just play it like that. And I think if you do that, you're playing to the strength of this team. Yep. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Now, um, I am uh, I am uh, curious um, as we get to sort of the the end of this year. Um, Malcolm Dandridge with this this uh, academic misconduct, academic whatever. Um, they're investigating it right now at the University of Memphis. It was first broke by Bluff City Media, and then all the other outlets picked it up. How how should how, how do you feel uh, about this? I, I guess there's a lot of different ways to feel. We'll start with how you feel about Malcolm uh, likely not playing another game in a Tiger uniform. Yeah, regardless of what the issue is, because that's obviously not something that's been publicized yet. Regardless of what the issue is, it's hard for me not to at least feel sad for Malcolm. Like Malcolm was Penny's first commit. He's been here the entire time. He was playing easily, hands down, the best ball of his career this year. He had a clear, defined role, um, and he was, for the most part, playing playing pretty well for the majority of the year. And so now to know that it, it, it could be over, it, it is sad. And I know people in the city have mixed feelings on Malcolm Dandridge. There's people that have you know very positive feelings, love Malcolm, have been watching him since his days at East and high school. And there's the other people that have been hoping that he wouldn't be on the team the last couple of years. And we've seen the high highs and the low lows from the fan base on where they feel about Malcolm. But at the end of the day, like he's been here for a long time. People know Mal- like Malcolm has uh, been a big part of this city for what he's been at Memphis for five <laughs> five years now, and mm-hmm. was at East before. Like he has been around and been known in the city for a long time. Uh, for playing basketball, and so if, if if he's not able to get back on the floor, it's it's really sad for him because he's, regardless of how you feel about him, regardless of how you feel if, on how he's fit into these teams and stuff, like he's he's stuck it out with Penny the whole time, and he was finally playing the best basketball of his career. So it just it it does make you kind of sad. And I've not, personally I've known Malcolm for a long time, and you know spent a lot of time with him while he was in high school. And so I, I know him personally, and so it's uh, it, it is a little yeah. sad. To see. And, and and depending on what's being alleged, I think the other sad part of this is like, uh, if the investigation comes back and does pinpoint him and, and show fault, it's like, damn, you, you sort of have no one to blame but yourself in this situation, right? Uh, you're a 23 right, year sure. old, fifth year senior. Seemingly, you would know better, but I, I, I obviously I don't know the exactly what's being alleged. We just know it's just an academic issue. Um, but that that's the part of it that really bothers me is yeah you 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 feel bad but seemingly he has no one to blame but himself if this all you Absolutely. know completely ends his career. 
Yeah, definitely. That is definitely true. Yeah. Now, um, what does it mean for the, the the team on the floor? I mean, seemingly depth at the depth in the front court is going to be hurt. And uh, if if Naquan Tomlin has foul issues the way he has most of the year, although he's been playing phenomenal lately, um, Jordan Brown's all you can really turn to. Yeah, it definitely. Like you said, it clearly hurts your depth in the front court. It it changes things, and it's this has kind of been the revolving door of the front court all year it has went from depth extreme depth we thought at the beginning of the year to lack of depth to okay maybe there's some so it's been a it's been a back and forth with the depth of the front court all year and once again i'll go i'll go back and say it again regardless of how you feel about malcolm he was someone who was at least playing decently in that role and could give you what you need as that role and i think we saw even though Naquan Tomlin played extremely well on Sunday, Vlad Golden dominated. Yes, Memphis. 100%. Uh, for, I mean, 9 of 9 from the floor, 22 points. Like, they they had no enforcer. And that's what, at the end of the day, that's what Malcolm's always been. Malcolm was never going to be an elite scorer, um, but he was an enforcer. He gave you a big, stout body down low that you could put on someone like Vlad Golden. And I know we've had this conversation for years now, there's not a lot of true bigs like that left in college basketball. But you don't want to run into someone, let's say Memphis does win the AAC tournament and get into the NCAA tournament. You don't want to run into a Purdue or someone like that right. with an elite big or even FAU again. They, you know, they have the potential to play FAU two more times this year, and we've already seen what, what Vlad Golden could do to them without Malcolm Dandridge. So that's – to me, that's the biggest thing that you lose, especially front court wise. You lose your only true enforcer. On the flip side of that, you could say uh, it, it definitely opens up more of a path for Naquan Tomlin to not have to look over his shoulder, not have to worry about you know w- when am I in, when am I out, what is my role um, when we're playing because we don't know what Memphis would have played like if Malcolm would have been available for FAU. How much? less would Naquan Tomlin would have played uh, if they felt like Malcolm needed to be on Vlad Golden. Would they put him at the four? Would they put him back at the three like they did against Charlotte? Would he have had less minutes because of that? So I think it gives more of a clear, defined role to Naquan Tomlin. I think it opens up things a little bit more for him, which if he can stay out of foul trouble like you alluded to, it, it can't be a negative thing if he plays anything like he did this past week. He was the he was the AAC Player of the Week this past week. Yeah, and here's here's the final thing, and I think it's really hard to talk about this because you know you you want to insulate. Um, you know, me being an alum, at times you you find yourself trying to insulate this program from wrongdoing and, and trying you try to beat the narratives that that are sort of been waged against Penny Hardaway his entire coaching tenure. But like for the program, and I know this has never been a squeaky clean program by the stretch, any stretch of the imagination. But now we're talking about three separate incidents that could involve the NCAA in six years. The first two were, of course, the IARP investigation with James Wiseman, and then this year with the recruiting violation, self-reported, where he got a three-game suspension. And now this, obviously, the NCAA is not involved yet. But based on the way that the University of Memphis is reacting. This is trying to get out in front of it so the NCAA doesn't have to get involved. Like, when, when we look at the program as a whole and the view around the country, this certainly doesn't help. No, it, it doesn't at all. And the way that I'll phrase it is 
as more and more stuff pops up, it becomes more and more difficult to kind of go to bat and stick your neck out there for it. Because I think all, if you go back and look at 2019 with the James Wiseman stuff, you look at 2019 and the way that the media was coming to bat, it was overwhelming how much the media came to bat for Penny and for the situation. Right. And I think right, and I think rightfully so. Like still 100%. to this day, when I look when I look back at that, like I, I still think that was an absurd thing by the NCAA to do. But it does become more difficult because you have to continue to look around and go, okay, why does stuff keep popping up? Like, why does this kind of stuff keep happening? And and if I go to bat for this and if I'm the one, you know, sticking my neck out there and saying X, Y, and Z, like, do do I just look like the boy who cried wolf every time this happens? You just, you, you really, it changes the way you react because you don't know how to react. You don't know whether to go to bat or to sit on the sideline and be quiet like you just it it becomes very awkward on how to deal with it and how to publicly speak about it because you just don't know like we we will never know fully what's going on behind the scenes but when things continue to circulate and continue to come up and when there continues to be uh smoke and fire then it's like i I don't know I, i really don't know what to say and i don't know how to say it i don't know if i defend or if i uh if I, you know, if I say something negative, like what do I say? How how do I handle this? So right. that's kind of that's kind of my overwhelming thought of it. Like in the beginning, when it's a, a single offense, and when there's when you at least feel like there's no wrongdoing by the coach in the university, then it's easy to 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 stand up and say this is ridiculous. But as things keep happening, it becomes more and more difficult to uh to put yourself out there and to defend yeah i mean the the more things stack up you can't just consistently say oh it's a witch hunt you know what i mean like there just comes a point where it's like these things keep happening you do have to acknowledge some wrongdoing on your end at some point right right and that and that's exactly how i feel with this situation that's why i haven't you know uh, between here and the podcast last night like there's only so much i could say because one we don't know yet like we don't know the extent of what's being alleged Right, we don't know the extent of what's being alleged right now, but at the same time, it's not really something that I'm gonna put a bunch of opinion on because <laughs> because I don't know, you know, I don't know, and there continues to be smoke surrounding different things, and it's just like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back a little bit. Right. We're just gonna wait this one out and see how this plays out, rather than trying to get in front of it and and go to bat for everything. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, Christian, I appreciate it, man. We'll do it again next Tuesday. See y'all back next week. Yes, sir. That's Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.